Holy Scripture says. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. My uh, brother-in-law had a dog. I'm telling you this because he named his dog Deacon. It was the dog's name, Deacon. It was a bull mastiff. It was huge. It was one of those just ginormous dogs. This dog was lazy. Uh, he drooled constantly. There's drooler mastiffs and non-drooler mastiffs, and he was a drooler. Uh, all that dog did was lay around all day. This was the most inappropriately named dog in canine history. I mean, he was a lovable old thing, but he was no deacon. The only thing he served was his appetite. He was a minister of mayhem. He did not care for the needy. He did not make life easier for his owners. In other words, he was nothing like a good church deacon. Now, the church, as we have learned, is made up of members. Members are those who guard the what? The, the who and the what of the gospel in fellow members and in their leaders and in the presentation of that gospel. And from among the members of the church, certain qualified men are asked to serve as elders. What do elders do? Elders provide general oversight and leadership to the church and the members gladly submit to follow their lead. That is one of two offices in the church. There is the office of elder, and then secondly, there is the office of deacon. Now, the word deacon is a transliterated uh, word. So you can translate a word or you can transliterate a word. When you transliterate a word, you take the letters of the original language and you kind of anglicize them. So the Greek word, I don't throw around Greek words a lot, but that word is diakonos. And so we just take the corresponding close letters in English and we invent the word deacon. Now, if you were to translate the word diakonos, you would translate it into an English equivalent, which would be servant or minister. It's what the word means. We transliterate words sometimes in our Bible. The word baptizo is another Greek word. What do you think that's transliterated as? 
Oh, to baptize, right? So we just invent an English word, baptize. Well, deacon is one of these transliterated words. Sometimes in your Bible, the word diakonos, it appears 29 times in the New Testament. Sometimes it appears as servant or minister, and sometimes it appears as deacon. When the word is transliterated to deacon, that is generally because it's being used to describe the office of deacon or the church officer, what we would call a deacon. So you see this in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Um, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. So in the church, there's the office of elder, and what's a little bit confusing, but we know now because we've, we saw this for ourselves, that elders are also called shepherds, pastors, um, overseers, steward, leader. There's, there's five for you, all uh, one. And you say, okay, well then what are, all, what's, what are all the names for deacons? Deacon. There, that was easy. So there's only one for deacons. There's five or six for elders. But there are only two offices in the church. Now, right away, that tells us something. Elder and deacon are different. They're not the same office. You see that really clearly. Uh, for instance, Philippians chapter 1. In verse 1, Paul writes, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. He identifies the two officers in the church. In fact, the meaning of the job titles tells us something about their responsibility. So overseers, what do they do? They oversee. Deacons, what do they do? They deke, <laughs> um, which we would, we, if we translate it as servant, what do they do? They serve. If we translate it as minister, what do they do? They minister. Deacons are not required to teach, to oversee, or to lead. Elders are required to teach and to oversee and to lead. And what's interesting is that in both cases, elder and deacon, one of the similarities is this list of qualification to the office, which is 99% about their character, not so much about their skill. Skill matters, but 99% of the qualification to the office is a man or woman's, a person's character. Now, some things deacons are not. Deacons are not elders. They're never called to give oversight to the church. They never lead the church. They never teach the church. I mean, they might be a teacher in the church, but they're not given that responsibility. One thing I've observed, sometimes people think, well, the people in charge of all the practical things are the deacons, and the people in charge of all the spiritual things are the elders. But that is a false dichotomy. While their roles often relate, the deacon's role often relates to practical matters, they're not an, sort of an equal body to the elders set up to oversee one sphere of church life while the elders oversee a second sphere of church life. Neither are deacons simply men in training to become elders. The diaconate is not like the junior A team of the eldership. It's like, uh, work it out there, son, and maybe you've got a future. <laughs> That's not the, what it is. I mean, sometimes it, it's, it's happened occasionally, even in our own church, where a man has served as a deacon and then he's become an elder. But that's not the purpose of the diaconate. That would be the exception, not the norm. And deacons, unlike elders, 
uh, are not necessarily only men. Uh, we'll get there. So what are deacons? Here's a definition for you. Deacons, I think it's in your song sheet there if you want to see it. Deacons are qualified, modeled servants who assist the elders by guarding the elders' ministry of prayer and word, organizing the church's service to other, especially to the needy, and are seeking to preserve church unity. So let's break that down. I'll break it into seven parts. Number one, they are model servants. So the very title of the office conveys the overarching responsibility of the office, to serve. And in a sense, deacons, servants, are model servants. You might say that like serving is in their DNA, their spiritual DNA. They don't serve out of fear of man. They serve out of fear of the Lord. They're not serving to earn their salvation. They're serving out of the joy of their salvation. So in 1 Timothy 3.10, let them be tested first, then let them serve as deacons. And then in their job, 1 Timothy 3.13, for those who serve well as deacons, who, who literally what Paul writes, those who deacon well, gain a good standing for themselves. So they are, they are servants who serve well. They are deacons who deek well. They are ministers who minister well. So they are model servants. That's the first thing. Second thing, they assist the elders. So now we go to Acts 6. The word deacon is not used in Acts 6, but it seems obvious to most that the seven men chosen to care for the neglected widows of that Jerusalem church were functioning diaconally. They were serving the church by helping the elders stay focused on their primary calling. And in that sense, these seven men were the prototype, if you like, of the office of deacon. So, Acts chapter 6, the elders of the Jerusalem church instruct the members, verse 3, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. And so the members of the church are to evaluate and suggest qualified men. And then the elders are going to appoint them. And what do they appoint these men to? Essentially, they give these proto-deacons a task that would have drawn away the elders' attention from their priority. Because what they say to the church, verse 2, is this, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. That's one of those sentences that can sound really arrogant to a modern ear. Uh, but what they're simply saying is there's a problem in our church and if we deal with this particular problem, it's going to take up all the time that we would normally devote to the study of God's word and prayer to God so that we can lead the church properly and teach the church properly. So find us some good men, they say, to take care of this very important task. But, verse 4, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That takes us to the next qualifier in their role as being elder assistants. This is number three. They help protect the elders' ministry of prayer and word. So deacons are not simply just, you know, you guys go do everything. <laughs> they're, they're called upon to do the things that would normally fall to the leaders, the elders, because they're the leaders. People are looking to them to provide a solution. 
but they, this would be something that would take the elders away from their primary calling. In that sense, the deacons are elder assistants, assistants to the elder. So, one of the more reliable dictionaries of the Greek language lists this definition for a deacon. Listen to this. One who gets something done at the behest of a superior, an assistant to someone, an aid. An aid, A-I-D-E, aid. So let's pause for a second and apply that. Imagine here at Grace Fellowship Church, a young single dad joins the church. He's a new Christian. He's had a difficult time in life, but he's, he loves the Lord. He's getting his life put back together, but he's got lots of things stacked against him. He needs spiritual care and teaching, and he needs to be in a church that prays and in a church that preaches God's word. But he also needs some help with childcare, making ends meet, getting a better job, uh, learning how to manage his own finances. All of those things are, are important too. So in a case like that, the elders might call on one or all of the deacons and say, look, can you help them find a place to live? Can you, can you get some meals organized by other members to help supplement them and, and get them established? Can you find maybe some way to organize some helpful childcare for him as he gets back into the workforce? His needs are so great right now that it's going to require some deaconing. And so the deacons are taking up stuff that servant-hearted people, people can do so that the elders don't have to forfeit time in prayer and the word. It's not that elder, elders never help people or anything like that, right? You see, it's, a, it's sort of a balancing of roles. Now, that's a good example of the fourth thing that deacons are to do. Number four is they help organize ministries, especially to the needy. So if you stay in Acts 6... You can see that the primary job for those seven was to balance out the meal delivery system from the church so that all the widows were taken care of, not just some of the widows. And these organizational skills of deacons are not limited just to cases of particular need. Deacons may be tasked with things in the life of the church like uh, for instance, being a treasurer. A treasurer might be a deacon. Why? Because that person is helping to oversee all the financial dealings of the church. That's an extremely important service to the church. And it's the kind of thing that frees up the elders for word and prayer ministry. It's a great way for deacons to fulfill the fifth part of their job description, which is they look for practical ways to help preserve the church's unity. What was the big problem in Acts chapter 6? Was the biggest problem that some saints were going hungry. Well, Acts chapter 6 verse 1, it says, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, that's the Greeks, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Aha. What's the big problem? The big problem is an administrative oversight that's leading to division in the life of the church. Disunity. Disunity was the big problem. The word Luke uses here, complaint, doesn't mean like uh, somebody filed a report. You, know, you like to make a complaint on aisle seven? Uh, nothing like that. It's, it's really a grumbling, 
a dispute, a complaining, a gossiping. In other words, all the stuff that foments disunity. The Greeks are mad at the Jews, and it seems like the Greeks had some grounds for their discontent because it looks like there was a kind of natural partiality that had crept into the church. The, the people that were distributing, they know the Jewish widows. They speak the same language. They probably are related to a lot of them. And so those ones are getting preference, and that's a problem. So right away, what you need to see here, which I think is really important to understand deacons, is that in the very first days of the church, the enemy is sowing seeds of disunity. And we know from all over our New Testament and just listening to the voice of Jesus in that New Testament that our God highly values unity. Our choosing to stay together, unified, not unanimous, unified. Choosing to remain in unity, not uniformity. We don't all dress the same and you know, do everything the same. But being one, choosing to be one, choosing to overlook faults, choosing to overlook preferences, choosing to die to self. This is the very thing Jesus prayed about, John 17, 11. Holy Father, listen to these words. This is Christ praying for you. He makes that clear in the prayer. I'm not just praying for these, but for all who will believe in me through their testimony. That means you. This is what Jesus, before he died, prayed for you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Jesus prays for Trinitarian unity in our local church. You think he values that? That's why Paul writes to the Philippians, Philippians 2.2, 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul's just saying the same thing four different ways. <laughs> Be one. Brothers and sisters, if that's what matters to Jesus, if that's what he prays for, I think we can be pretty sure that the local church will always be under attack from the world, the devil, and the sin that remains in every member. The world, the flesh, and the devil always seek to bring about disunity and division. And deacons have the glorious role, deacons have the glorious role of seeking to alleviate any, anything that's a practical obstacle to unity. They can't change people's hearts, but they can change some of the circumstances that might be tempting those hearts toward disunity and division. That is why a deacon must be a certain kind of Christian. And that takes us to number six. They are morally and spiritually qualified. Consider the kind of person that's going to serve well as a deacon. This is, I, you need to turn down to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We'll kind of hover here for a bit. 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you get to 1 Timothy, you'll see in the first part of chapter 3, he's addressing elders. That's 1 to 7. And then in verse 8, he immediately turns to deacons. This is what he says, verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. 
They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and they let them be also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Drop down to verse 12. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. So now that you understand what deacons are supposed to do, you can understand better why they're to be a certain kind of person. Now, that kind of person is summarized there in verse 8 with the word dignified. Dignified means they're to be honorable, worthy of respect. They lead a noble life. Not perfect, but this would be a very similar category as what Paul would say about elders. They must be above what? Reproach, which, may, which means accusations don't stick. They're not people of bad character. And then Paul unpacks this for us. What does it mean to be dignified? He gives three negatives and three positives. We'll just go through them quickly. First, the three negatives. Not double-tongued. What a great phrase. In English, we would probably say something like not two-faced. Kids, if you don't know what two-faced is, uh, wait till you're in high school. <laughs> and, uh, or if you forgot what it is, remember high school. Because high school is kind of a place where a lot of people seem to become two-faced, meaning they're one way with you, oh, you're my BFF, and, and then when they're with these people over here, I hate her. Um, that's, you're laughing because you know, right? Uh, we all live through the misery of high school. You were in high school, that's why we pray for you, it's, and for many other reasons too. So to be double-tongued means that, to be two-faced, insincere, hypocritical. An insincere, hypocritical person is not going to do a good job at building unity in the church, are they? Second thing that can't be, can't be addicted to much wine. Addicted is an okay word here, as long as you're not importing a lot of uh, how the word is used today. Because, um, well, I'll give you the, in the original language it says something like this, not continually devoting themselves to lots of wine. So... It's not just that this deacon is not a drunkard, but they're not overcommitted to wine. So whether a drunkard or not, if their greatest devotion is to the bottle, like that's what they live for, they're not going to make a good deacon. A deacon is going to give, in other words, what's he saying here? I think metaphorically what he's saying is a deacon is the kind of person who gives evidence of a life of self-denial, self-control and self-denial. The third negative, not greedy for dishonest gain. And friends, that's just what it sounds like. A, a person can't be a deacon if they're out for easy money. If they're shamefully greedy, if they're willing to cut corners, if they're dishonestly lining their pockets on the job site, whatever, a deacon cannot be that. They can't have a hint of that in their life. Because a lot of what they're going to do is help care for the needy. Do you want that person? Do you want the two-faced, um, lacking self-control, eager to line their pockets deceitfully with money? Do you want that person handling the church's finances for the needy? Of course not. Liars, selfish people, people with no integrity need not apply for the diaconate. Then comes the three positives. Uh, first one is they gotta be theologically fit. This is verse nine. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And I'm, I'm pausing here because sometimes I've heard people say, 
leave the theology to the elders, the deacons will build the shelves and uh, like, like deacons don't have to have theology, but they clearly do. They have to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Deacons need to know their Bibles. For example, one of their jobs is, is helping protect the unity of the church which means you've got to understand who Christ is, what Christ has done, how Christ has served us. If you're going to be ultra committed to the task of unity preservation in this local church, promoting unity often means you're the person who puts yourself right into the middle of trouble to solve the disunity. And that takes a really serious commitment to Jesus because you don't do that because you love that stuff. You do it because you love Christ and you love his bride, the church. It's a task that is worthy because, of course, it's what Jesus prayed for before his death. So they've got to be theologically fit. They have to have a proven track record. Look at verse 10. Let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Um, it's, it's interesting what Paul does here. He says, let them deacon being blameless. So if deacons are called to administrate the, and fulfill the objectives of the elders, they need to be the kind of people with a proven track record. That also means the church has to have some form of vetting or evaluating in order to identify who those potential deacons might be. And that's what the word tested means there. It means to prove something by close examination. Really, it's the idea of to approve after testing. So when you get new clothes, sometimes the little stickers in there, you know, quality seal approved by Bob or number 174 or something. And it's telling you that this, this piece of clothing has been inspected and it's approved. Well, that's what you're to do when you're choosing deacons. Why? Because they have to be the kind of people who can fulfill this unique job description. Uh, the third uh, positive, verse 12, let the deacons be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. So husband of one wife is the exact same phrase that Paul used in regards to elders and their qualification to the office. It, it's a fine enough phrase. In, in its original, it's one woman kind of man. He is a one woman kind of man. And we think Paul uses that phrase very deliberately because that allows for single men to serve as elders or as deacons because a single man can be a one-woman kind of man or he could be a many-woman kind of man and that would disqualify him from both offices. Our English translations give some meaning here when they say the husband of one wife but maybe over limits what Paul was getting at. Paul's saying... Whoever's in the office needs to be a one-woman kind of man, which means if he's married, it must be obvious that he's not a flirt, that his devotion is to his wife alone. He can be trusted to act with integrity and faithfulness with members of the opposite sex. And if he has kids, he's also going to show that he's an involved father. He's seeking to raise his kids in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. His personal affairs are going to be in order. His stewardship of his marriage and family are going to demonstrate that he's the kind of person who can be entrusted with important tasks in the life of the church sensitive tasks in the life of the church. 
So if a brother frequently pays his bills late or has kids that hang off your chandeliers, you know, that happened to a friend of mine. Somebody came over and his kids literally hung off the chandeliers. I always thought that was just an expression, but it actually happened in somebody's house. <laughs> or, or if that guy always seems to be, you know, in a spat with his wife, or even worse, it gets inappropriately close to women who are not his wife, then he's no deacon. The deacon's got to be theological, reliable, and faithful. Why? So that they can jump in in order to unpuzzle the chaos and the division that sin creates. It is a very noble calling in the life of the church, which is why Paul says in verse 13, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. They get the respect of the church. If a deacon serves well, he gains the admiration, the love of the church. Those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing. And they also gain confidence in their own relationship with the Lord. If you think about it, a deacon gets to walk into these troubled situations, go low, serve the church, and then see the Lord work. He's a first-hand witness to God at work. And they will see God right in front of them, even through them, doing things in the lives of people, and their confidence in the Lord will soar. So they get great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So all of that is good and wonderful. Praise the Lord for deacons. But you might have noticed I skipped a verse. And that verse is verse 11. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. And your first question should be, why this strange intrusion? <laughs> well, in short, it is a verse that Christians have been perplexed about since it was written. <laughs> and basically, the issue boils down to this. Is Paul referring to the wives of male deacons or is Paul referring to women who serve as deacons? Why that's a confusing question is because the words Paul used don't make it clear. Whether you think it's A or B, everybody agrees, it's not precise, it's not clear. So this takes me to number seven. Men and women may serve as deacons. Now that may not seem to your eyes like a possibility if you're reading the English Standard Version, so let me just give you the literal, trans, wooden, very wooden translation of the verse. This is what it says. Women, likewise, dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all. That's what it says. Women, likewise, dignified. Which is why you get this range of translations. So if you're reading an NIV, New American Standard, uh, RSV, then you will see it'll be translated like, like this. The women are to be dignified. If you're reading the New King James Version or the Holman Christian Standard Bible or other versions, it will say, likewise, their wives must be dignified. So what's the answer? Is Paul talking about the wives of male deacons or is Paul describing female deacons? When we planted Grace Fellowship Church, I taught on this verse. There's like eight of you still here who would remember. There was, well, there was only 12 of us, so that's not like a bad thing. Um, they were very small. 
And uh, I remember spending a couple of weeks on this, and I suggested to our initial members that it's an impossible verse to come to a definitive conclusion on. Every serious book you would read on this topic would admit that and then sort of argue what they think it is. But everybody begins by saying, this is not one of those things you can divide over. This is not one of those things you can say, this is black and white and super clear. So at the start of our church, rather than say, we think it means this and not that, we left it open. However, we decided that in practice, we would only ask men to serve as deacons because of the gender confusion in the world back in 2001. And of course, now in 2023, gender confusion's gotten a lot better. <laughs> beep, beep, beep. You hear that noise? That's us backing the F1 into the garage to do a little bit of a tune-up. You with me? If you, if you weren't here, you, you got to listen to 10 sermons. Uh, okay. You might recall at the beginning of this series on the church, I, wanted, I told you I wanted to identify some things that we think need to be fine-tuned in the life of our church, and almost all of them, is it all of them? I think it's all of them are my fault. In other words, I was the founding pastor of this church, and so these are things that I motivated us to put into place. So, this is one of these times that beep, beep, beep you heard is, oh, maybe that's the bus backing up over me. I don't know. Uh, that's the F1 going into the garage. So, whether or not to have sisters serve as deacons, it's an impossible decision to make exegetically. There, there is no definitive answer. And I'm really glad that we left the option open in our church constitution. There's nowhere in our church constitution we prohibited women from serving as deacons. In fact, I think we assumed that one day they would be serving as deacons in the church because after explaining that only qualified males can serve as elders, we wrote this in our constitution. Nevertheless, we acknowledge and encourage the valuable gifts and assistance of women in the formal instruction of children and other women, Titus 2, in the informal instruction even of men, 1 Corinthians 11, Acts 18, and in the diaconal and especially the benevolent ministries of the church, 1 Timothy 3.11. <laughs> so one of the changes in practice that we're proposing is that we begin the process of evaluating and finding qualified sisters in our church to serve as deacons. Because this is unfamiliar to some people, and you might be a guest here, and you've not been here for everything, I just want to reiterate, deacons, elders, two very different offices. We've talked about elders. Elders are only to be male. That's God's design. That's not my preference. Now we're talking about deacons. I'll quickly identify for you several reasons we think 1 Timothy 3.11 uh, could refer to female deacons rather than the wives of male deacons. Here's number one. The word Paul uses, he uses this generic word woman. He's used it nine times in the letter and all the other occurrences are basically undisputed that he's referring to women in general, not to wives specifically. So it would make sense that he's speaking about women here and not specifically the wives of male deacons. Secondly, in your ESV, for example, the word there ain't there. <laughs> uh, 
their wives. That word there is supplied by the English translators. So the original simply says, likewise, women. It does not say, likewise, their women or likewise, their wives. The there is put in by the English translators. Why? Because the English translators, and they have to do this at points, and we might dispute where and when, but they're making an interpretive decision. And they're deciding, we believe this is referring to wives, and we want to make that clear in the English. So we'll, we'll translate it, as, we'll translate gunakas as wives, and we'll supply the word there so that people understand it's talking about the deacon's wives. That's an interpretive decision, but it's not in the original. Thirdly, structure of the passage. If you just look at it on the page, interesting. Paul is talking about categories of people. So he begins in chapter 3, verse 1, let the, or verse 2, the elders are to be above reproach. And then in verse 8, likewise, deacons are to be dignified. Then verse 11, likewise, women are to be dignified. So it seems like Paul is building a certain kind of structure. Fourthly, it seems particularly strange to us that Paul would list qualifications for the character of deacons' wives and not elders' wives. Have you ever thought about that? So in our practice, we've always been so perplexed by that that we take the qualifications for elders' wives and for deacons' wives and we make an elder evaluate, you know, the, the, we evaluate the elder's wife based on the deacons' wife thing and we're always kind of like, are we really allowed to do that because it's not really for elders' wives, but we don't see anything there? It just strikes us as very odd. Now, that is an argument from silence, which is the most dangerous form of all argumentation in your Bible, but it seems to us that wouldn't it be even more essential that elders' wives are qualified in a certain way as opposed to deacons' wives? Maybe, maybe not. Number five, one way to see this is, is thinking that Paul's using bookends here. So he's addressing both male and female deacons in verses 8 to 10. Look there on the page, verses 8 to 10, male and female deacons. Then female deacons only in verse 11. Then male deacons only in verse 12. And then both male and female deacons in verse 13. So the address to male and female bookends the more specific qualifications. Now, friends, there are lots of arguments against those arguments, and I could direct you to them. In fact, there's a great little book called Deacons by Matt Smithhurst, and uh, we might have copies upstairs if you want one, but if you look at the appendix, Matt does a great job of saying, here are the, here are the arguments, here's the arguments against them, and you will find that it's just a decision churches have to make. But... We're also persuaded by Romans 16, verse 1. And again, this is under some dispute, but if you look at Romans 16, 1, you read this. I commend to you, this is Paul, and he's, he's at the end of his letter, so he's doing his personal, you know, hi to you, greetings from this person to you kind of stuff. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sancria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she's been a patron of many and of myself as well. So Phoebe appears to be a woman of means, of wealth. She's a patron. She's a person who helps fund ministry. She's a worthy sister in the Lord. 
but she is also, we think, probably a deacon of the church in Sancria. Remember what I told you right at the beginning. That word diakonos can be transliterated, deacon, or it can be translated, servant. So, how do you decide? You just kind of have to decide. <laughs> Though the translators have to decide. So in the ESV, they decide in a certain direction that's consistent with their translation. That's great. But we think that Phoebe is likely an officer from the church in Sancria. And one reason why is the fact that the way Paul says it, he says, a diakonos of that particular church, singular, that congregation. And so it could be translated, Phoebe, a deacon of the church, the one in Centria. And Phoebe's sphere of service is tied to and limited to the church in Sancria. And now she's acting on the church's behalf. And that makes us believe that she could be one example of not merely a, a good servant-hearted believer. She might be just that. But it's quite possible that she's a recognized deacon of that particular church. One that had been tasked with a very particular ministry in all likelihood to carry this letter to the Christians in Rome from Paul. So one of the things the elders here want to propose is that we act on this by beginning to evaluate our sisters who might serve well as deacons over particular ministries. And they would be required to demonstrate all the basic character qualifications of every deacon. That's verses 8 to 10. Plus, verse 11, unique to them, they must be dignified, not slanderers, not, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. What is it? Dignified, we've already seen. Not a slanderer, that word is diabolos. Uh, uh, all kinds of jokes running in my head, I'll stop. Uh, not slanderers, not women who go about falsely accusing others. Slander is, belongs in the realm of demons, not deacons. Instead, these sisters need to demonstrate they're sober-minded. This is verse 11 again. Um, if a person's drunk, they're not sober. In other words, they've lost control of themselves. And this word in particular is getting that across. That women who serve as deacons need to be clear-minded, temperate in character, not prone to unrestrained words or actions. And again, that makes total sense. One of the things a deacon, whether male or female, must be able to do is move into the complexities of life, especially lives that have been confused by sin. And that takes a kind of patience and clarity that's characterized in the word sober-minded. And finally, she must be faithful. Faithful in what? In everything. How's that for a qualification? So a woman who never shows up for her assigned host team duties that she had volunteered for will not make for a good deacon, will she? Or one who promises to deliver a meal and never gets it done, not a good deacon. One who never reads her Bible, never prays, not a good deacon. The church needs to be on the lookout for women who are faithful in all things. And if we kind of spread out the, 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 the qualification list a little bit, we understand that that means she's faithful in, in her marriage with her husband, if she's got kids in her mothering of those children, if she's running a household in the running of her household. She's faithful in all things. What a wonderful, wonderful role for sisters in our church to aspire to. Historically, it may surprise you to know, if this is the only church you've known, 
that historically the church has always had female deacons. Right, who do you want? How about Origen, 200 AD? How about Calvin, 1550? How about Charles Spurgeon, 1890s? All had female deacons in their churches. How about today? If you ask Pastor John MacArthur, Pastor Tim Keller, retired Pastor Mark Dever, do you have deacons in your church? They would answer, yes, most definitely female deacons in our church. So when it comes right down to it, and the broader evangelical world, we're the minority. <laughs> Pastors, remember, sometimes are called shepherds. And they're to model their lives after the chief shepherd. And we would like to suggest that deacons are to model their lives after the chief deacon. Chief deacon. Where am I getting that? How about Mark chapter 10, verse 43? Whoever would be great among you must be your deacon. Let's just translate or transliterate instead of translate. Whoever would be great among you must be your deacon. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be deaconed, but to deacon and to give his life as a ransom for many. What a joy then to be set aside by the fellow members of your local church to serve and to give all the members of your local church a visible reminder of the one who served us most of all. If Christ gave up his life for his people, what a great honor it is to give up our lives in service of him. Of course, that begins with you giving up your life primarily to him. Have you done that? Have you come all the way to Christ? Have you repented from your sins and put all of your trust in him alone? You might have sat in this church for years and years and years and years. You might have grown up in this church for years and years. But just knowing who Jesus is is not the same thing as knowing Jesus. You've got to turn to Christ. You've got to believe on him. And when you do, oh, how these words will sing to you. Even the Son of Man came not to be deaconed, but to deacon and to give his life a ransom for many. <laughs> what a joy to think about the one who has served us the most. He gave his life as a ransom payment for ours. And that's who we're going to joyfully celebrate in just a few moments. Our chief deacon, our savior, Jesus Christ. Before we get to the table, I want to lead us in a prayer of confession of our sins. So please join me as I pray.